On behalf of AONN, I'd like to thank Sanofi for sponsoring this podcast today. This is a three-part podcast, and this is part one, talking about biomarkers and the critical role of navigation. I'm Terry Connoran. I'm the moderator today, and today we're going to be discussing the ever-evolving biomarker landscape and the critical role that the navigators can play to ensure timely testing, appropriate follow-up, and remove the barriers to care so patients know. Please introduce yourself. I'm just delighted today to speak with Jennifer. Would you give us a little background on yourself? Thank you so much for having me today. My name is Jennifer Eversano, and I'm a lung nurse navigator, and I'm currently at Northwest Community Hospital in Arlington Heights, Illinois. I've been an oncology nurse for almost 20 years and a lung navigator for about the last 10 years. Thanks. I'm excited to have you here today. And Claudia, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Terry. My name is Claudia Miller. I am the Thoracic Oncology Nurse Navigator at the Medical University of South Carolina Hollings Cancer Center in Charleston, South Carolina. I have been an oncology nurse for 22 years, and I've been the Thoracic Oncology Nurse Navigator here at Hollings Cancer Center for 16 years. Thanks for joining today. I'm delighted to have you. Uh, my name is Terry Connoran, and I'm a lung cancer patient. And so I know how incredibly important it is to have folks like you here to help us get to the right treatments and get a little bit of information. And we're going to start today talking about biomarkers. So let's just start with what is a biomarker? And then let's kind of just go from there. So biomarker is a very broadly used term, and you might hear it as a molecular marker or abnormality that would be on malignant cancer tumors or fluids. And, you know, it really gives us information on the patient's own cancer and personalizes on how they might respond to therapy. I generally explain it to patients as being a measurable genetic characteristic of their cancer that helps us individualize their care and treatment. Is there a possible other term that somebody may hear this referred to as? They might hear it as molecular testing, tumor testing, genetic testing, genomic testing. Again, there's so many different phrases for it. By saying biomarker, the patients know that we really want to try to see what their specific cells look like and if there are any targeted treatments that might be available for them. Okay. And so it can impact what your cancer treatment is then, if, if I'm understanding correctly. Yes, absolutely. A lot of patients, when they hear the term genetic testing, the first thing they're going to think of is, oh goodness, is this something that was handed down by my parents or am I going to hand down to my children? So it's important also to clarify that this is specific to the patient themselves and their specific cancer, not something that they're handing down genetically to their children. How does that impact my cancer treatment if I'm a patient? So what we're really talking about here is the genomic testing. So genetic testing is also the germline testing. That is something that's handed down. We're talking more about somatic testing, which is more genomic testing. 
where again, we're looking at that particular cancer malignant cells and seeing, do they have any of those biomarkers? And if a patient has those biomarkers, we personalize their treatment where it's not just giving patients the same chemotherapies that we've been giving lung cancer patients or any cancer patients for many, many years. We're really going to look and say, do they have any targeted mutations where these particular medications will go after those particular cancer cells? Correct. So when we're talking about these biomarkers, and I'll just kind of refer to it as biomarkers throughout this podcast, if that's okay. We have probably a handful of biomarkers that have a targeted therapy associated with that particular gene. And, but we're testing generally for 600 plus genes, correct? Because we're sequencing the DNA to look for these particular biomarkers that are what we would consider the oncogenic drivers of the cancer. So what went awry on a DNA level to cause this cancer? Was it a missing gene? Was it a rearranged gene? Something went wrong on a DNA level to cause this cancer to happen. And that's what we're looking for. Okay, so if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is that there's DNA in my body and there's DNA inside of my cancer tumor and the biomarker is the DNA that's within the actual lung cancer tumor itself. Am I tracking? Yes, absolutely, you're tracking. At some point, something on the DNA level goes awry, if you will, and that starts the process doesn't always end up in a cancer, but that starts the process towards what can be a malignancy. Okay. And then wherever that biomarker goes awry, as you said, in my body, it's the type of cancer that it's identified as like lung cancer or colon cancer or, or what have you. Is, is that correct? Uh, not necessarily. There are some biomarkers that you can find across several different primary sites. You know, you can find... BRAFs in melanoma, that's a big one, but you can also see it in lung cancer and you can use the same treatment. Okay. Let's start with what a biomarker test is and how I know that it got done. And then maybe we can drill down into what type of biomarkers there are. So it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had with your medical oncologist. Biomarker testing should be standard of care. You should be asking your medical oncologist do I qualify for biomarkers? And if I don't, why not? But it's a very important conversation for patients to be having with their medical oncologist and even their navigator. Their navigators can give education on the importance of it. Do they qualify? And to make sure that conversation is happening with their medical oncologist and to even you know oversee that it's happening in many cases. Do, do patients automatically get a copy of the report? That's a great question. It really depends on where the testing is done. Some institutions have internal testing facilities where they do all the testing in-house. Some send it out to private laboratories to do the testing. If you're sending it out to a private facility, then you're going to get a report that is either backs to you or they have portals that you can go into to look for the results. So there's many different ways. And this is where I think the navigator can play a huge role, particularly in the lung space, because 
they are the ones that are seeing the patients from the very beginning, whether that be pre-diagnosis, right after diagnosis. So they're going to be the ones that really drive this testing. They're going to be the ones to make sure that there's sufficient tissue to make sure that the tissue is sent, that there's timely results, and that the expectations are being managed for the patient to understand the need to wait for this biomarker testing to return prior to starting any therapy. How long of a wait could we be talking about? A lot of the goals is about a 10 to 14 day turnaround time. And now we're talking about tissue testing. This isn't necessarily a liquid biopsy. This is on the actual tissue that we're sending out. That's what a lot of the vendors will say. Sometimes if it's done in-house, it can be quicker. I know there are some companies now that are stating that they can get it done in three to five days, which I think would be amazing. But right now, I think, and, and Claudia, give me your thoughts on this too, for most vendors and for most organizations, we're looking at at least about 10 to 14 days. That's correct, Jennifer. Even our internal panel is approximately 10 to 14 days which is challenging for a patient to understand. It's the hurry up and wait. I was just diagnosed with, say, metastatic lung cancer, and now you're expecting me to wait another 10 to 14 days to tell me what my treatment's going to be. So I think, again, that's where the navigator is incredibly important in managing the expectations, talking that patient through that wait phase until we have the results. Why is it important for me to wait 10 or 14 days or three weeks for that? I generally explain to patients that you get the biggest bang for your buck with that first treatment. So those malignant cells are very smart. They start out in, let's say for lung cancer, they start out in the lung, but they can travel elsewhere and they are able to disguise themselves from your immune system and to travel different places. So we don't want to just throw treatment that we don't know is going to be effective because then you're just going to get unnecessary toxicities, not really in a benefit. So you really want to make sure that that first therapy that you're going with is the best therapy. And that's if the patient can wait. Now, there are patients that just are too symptomatic and can't wait. And that's a judgment call on the physician's side. But for the most part, we prefer to wait if the patient is stable and able to wait for the results to come out to start treatment. So the biomarker test could change my best first line attack? Absolutely. We really want to know, do you have a targeted mutation where we can give you a medication that's going to go after that particular biomarker? And if you don't, are we going to give you immunotherapy? But we want to make sure that you don't have that targeted mutation before we give you immunotherapy. Because if you get the immunotherapy first, you have to wait a while before you can necessarily get that targeted therapy. So we really want to test what will you best respond to. And if you have that targeted mutation, we really need to know that as soon as we can. And another thing with the turnaround time, just to kind of go back to that for a minute, a lot of sites that are doing in-house testing are doing what we call reflex testing. So if we know it's a non-small cell cancer, whether it's an adeno or a squamous, some sites just do the adenocarcinomas, we automatically send it, whether it's for comprehensive panel testing or if it's an early stage, we might just be checking a few genes for it. But if we can do that reflex testing, even if we're not doing it in site, once we know that we have that lung cancer diagnosis and get that tested as soon as possible, 
really the goal would be when the patient then meets with the medical oncologist, the medical oncologist really has all the information ready in front of them to make that shared decision-making visit with the patient and have the best treatment decisions with them. So are you saying that this is kind of, oh, I don't know, doing a full map assessment of what's going on in my cancer so that we have a plan before we start driving the car? And as a patient, I'm 100% for people not driving blind. Um, let's do it first and best. Um, my husband likes to say, um, firstest with the mostest. We also know that some patients with these targetable mutations will not respond to immunotherapy. So if we're giving them immunotherapy because we think that's the best treatment for lung cancer, and then they turn up to have a targetable mutation where they may be able to take an oral therapy, then they were just given that very expensive treatment for no benefit. Or physically demanding treatment for no benefit. And Correct. that's that's brutal for anybody. Okay, well, we've been talking an awful lot about biomarkers and actionable and target. Let's actually define what is a biomarker that I would be looking for that somebody would see on a report. With advanced stage lung cancer, we're really, you know, the NCCN guidelines really are recommending that patients have comprehensive panel testing. In some of the targeted therapies out there, you might see one with EGFR, you might see what, something called ELK, you might see something called KRAS, or you might see a BRAF. There are about, I think, 11 targeted targeted mutations out there that have targeted therapies associated with them. But we really want that comprehensive panel because there are a lot of therapies in development now with up-and-coming biomarkers that are in clinical trials. When we define comprehensive, does that mean only those 11 actionable mutations? Well, that, that's a great question. If you look across the country, I think there's a push to move away from single gene testing, which means you're only looking for targetable biomarkers, the ones that we actually have FDA approved therapy for. And we're moving towards something called next gen sequencing, which is, like Jennifer said, comprehensive biomarker testing. So you are simultaneously testing for 600 plus genes. And we may only have FDA approved therapies for 11 of them, but we may have 20 plus in trials. And so we're able to give that patient that FDA approved drug at this time, but maybe when they finally progress and that drug's not working anymore, we have something else available that's been in clinical trials. So we're looking for the next best treatment for that patient. Okay. So what we would see on the biomarker testing would be things like BRAF or ROS1 or KRAS or RAT. These are different types of mutations and some of them are fusions and some of them have different types of DNA makeup, right? Correct. They're all mutations. They're mutated some way, right? That DNA is mutated some way. It can be, again, mismatched, fused, rearranged. There's a lot of different ways that it can be mutated. And then to get that biomarker testing, we didn't talk about the big elephant in the room. Who's paying for it and how do I get it paid for? Yeah, that is definitely the elephant in the room and something that navigators deal with quite a bit. So 
the good news is that a lot of states are making progress with this. A lot of states are signing laws. I know Illinois is one of them, Louisiana, I think Arizona, California are signing different laws. They're all a little bit different. They are mandating that biomarkers be covered under state insurance policies. So that's the good news. It is starting to be covered by more state insurances. The bad news is it's all very broad on what comprehensive panels mean. Even though the NCCN recommends that, your insurance companies might say, well, we're not going to cover this 500 gene panel or whatever that is. And that's when it comes into play. You are utilizing a vendor to doing this testing. A lot of the vendors do have financial programs for patients. So it's definitely a conversation to have with the patient beforehand. If it's something that's going to be sent out, what is the out-of-pocket cost for the patient on these panels? Is it anything? A lot of them have these robust financial programs that can cover a lot of the coverage. Or will there be a set amount that this will be the only fee that will be billed to the patient if it's not covered? So there's a possibility, even though my insurance may not cover it, I could get this done for free or very low cost? Yes. As Jennifer said, you know, I think this is where, again, the navigator and their knowledge of biomarker testing comes in handy. You're going to know what are the vendors out there that are doing the testing? What kind of testing are they doing? You're going to have contacts with those vendors and you're going to know what financial resources they have available for their patients. So I think that's where we come in handy. I think each probably provider has their favorite vendor uh, that they like to use. And that's, again, physician preference. But being able to answer questions for the patient and the provider to let them know what the patient can look at paying out of pocket. How many pieces of paper do you have to sign to actually get this testing? What does the turnaround time look like? Um, I think that's where the navigator comes in handy, having all that information. Well, I think having that information is important for the navigator, but as a patient, I know it's a sense of identity for us to know what this tumor, this biomarker gene is that my body is fighting. And it helps us to find other people that have a similar sort of situation as, as it were. How do you, or do you suggest giving this information to a patient? Yeah, absolutely. Knowledge is power. I mean, if you look at lung cancer now, that's how we're treating patients. We're trying to put them in, you know, kind of a category. We're stratifying patients based off of their genetic, their molecular testing or their mutations. We're stratifying patients based off of that. Okay, well, all these patients have out and that's where the trials are coming in and that's where treatments are coming in. And there are different side effects with all these different therapies. So having patients be able to kind of talk to one another and understand, oh, well, you're going through very similar side effects because not only are the treatments similar, but the side effects are similar, the prognosis is similar. It's almost like having a different disease, to be honest with you. So I think it's important for patients to have some way to congregate with other patients who are experiencing the same things. Well, I'm going to give a, a personal shout out here specifically to the biomarker groups that I'm Terry Connor and I founded KRES Kickers, which is 
actually that's the place is a sense of community around patients that have a KRAS biomarker. There's also groups out there for ALK, for ROS1, for RET, for BRAF, for MET, NTRAC, you name it, there's a group out there for you. And the sense of power of being able to know that we have a common enemy is really an, an empowering sort of way, even though it doesn't really change what I've got, it makes me feel less alone. And so I'm really glad to hear that you think it's important that we connect with each other around that knowledge. So as we kind of wrap up this part one of our three-part series, is there anything that you think that we kind of need to like pull into a little bow before we close this one section out on what is a biomarker? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of what we touched on before, if you are diagnosed with any cancer, it is really just important to make sure you're having that conversation with their medical oncologist, you know, and the navigators again will will help facilitate this. Do you have a biomarker? Are you eligible for testing? And if not, why not? Are you eligible for any clinical trials? Just really being an advocate for yourself and as a navigator, being an advocate for your patients. Excellent points. And then you, Claudia? I concur with Jennifer. I think knowledge is power and the more information you can get on the actual oncogenic driver of why this cancer happened, if you drill down to that, then I think having that information, not only for the patient, but for the provider, you get the best treatment. You know, long gone are the days of just treating a non-small cell lung cancer with the basic chemotherapy that's thankfully behind us. And with this information, our lung cancer patients are living longer and they're living better lives. And that's an important consideration because we're all for living longer, living better lives. And so what I'm hearing you say, as we close out is find out about the biomarker testing. If you can't get it covered, ask about how you can get it covered. And it should be a matter of why am I not getting it as opposed to why do I have it and get the right treatment. So I'm Terry Connor with KRS Kickers. Thank you for joining us on part one. And we look forward to hearing with you on the next parts. And thanks again to the folks at Sanofi and AONN.